living like exiles. Uh, this is the beginning of a walk through one of the letters that the Apostle Peter wrote to ancient churches in present-day Turkey. And uh, it's the first letter that we're going to look at. For months, I felt like we were to begin this new year by studying the book of First Peter and in the process, engage really what is the theme of this book. It's, it's, it's this idea of living like exile. So I'm going to take a, just a few minutes before we get into what Peter will have to say about hope. But I, I, just, I just want to just shape that for just a moment this theme. I am going to begin Philippians this Sunday, this Wednesday night in our scriptures with Pastor Jim in the chapel. But Sunday mornings, I believe God's going to say some things to us really important as a church family in our next steps. It's written, of course, by Peter. Verse 1, chapter 1, Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ. Yes, this is the Peter who shot his mouth off far too much when he traveled with Jesus. This is the Peter who denied Jesus three times in spite of promising Jesus he would never do something like that. So we get Peter. We're, we're, we're all a mess recovering in some way. But this is also the Peter who, after Jesus died and ascended into heaven, rose again, ascended into heaven. This is the Peter who was filled with the Holy Spirit on the day of Pentecost and became the first spokesman for the early church, the first preacher. And so all of that becomes like, Peter is like my life wrapped up. Like, like I've, got, I've got some things in the past that probably shouldn't have been there. We all have regrets. We all have messed up. We all shot our mouths off too much and thought we had it all under control. But then Jesus comes and puts his spirit in us and sets us on a whole new track. And so we want to listen to a guy like this, like, like Peter. And he writes, as he continues, verse 1, he writes to God's elect, the exiles scattered throughout the provinces of Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia. Uh, those places are all in what we would call today present-day Turkey. I'm going to be leading a tour in September. We'll be in some of these regions. Uh, but, but this was in present-day Turkey. The Bible called it Asia Minor. And these are believers and churches that were all had, had developed all throughout that area. And he uses, in English, two E words. First of all, to God's elect. That was, elect was an Old Testament way of referring to God's people. So he said, you uniquely belong to God. You're God's elect. But then the word he really builds on throughout this entire letter is the word exiles. He said, you're exiles. Have you ever felt like you don't belong? It's not a fun feeling. And the, the scholar Thomas Skriner puts it this way. Believers are exiles, not because they're displaced from their homeland. For many people in the Greco-Roman world uh, no longer lived in their place of origin. But believers are exiles because they suffer for their faith in a world that finds their faith off-putting and strange. And I don't know about you, but there's never been a year like this past year. While I've felt more weird compared to the culture, more strange, I've never felt more that because I'm a Christian, people think I'm a bigot and I'm a racist and I'm a Republican and I'm, uh, that may not be bad, that may be bad depending on where you come from, but that I'm just plain weird because I identify with Christianity except for this past week, which kind of surprised me. 
because of how different our, our culture seems to be looking at us. So Damar Hamlin, who thank God is getting better, it looks like, he collapses on the football field. And all of a sudden, both teams drop to their knees. I mean, they swarm around him and drop to their knees and start to pray. And then a commentator on ESPN in front of his live audience leads everybody in prayer and says in his prayer, we're praying because we believe prayer makes a difference. And it shocked me because it's been so different than that. I mean, we lately have been firing high school football coaches because they let their students pray in front of other students. And, and in the media, it's increasingly, it's not our thoughts and prayers are with you, it's just our thoughts are with you. And somehow out of respect for religious pluralism in our culture, we have ended up with functional atheism. And prayer gets canceled or frowned on, or aren't those weird people who believe in that sort of thing? And all of a sudden, here we have it front and center this past week. And uh, we're praying for a spiritual awakening in, in our nation. We're praying that things will turn around. But that's not how it's felt lately. And, and Peter's writing from Rome right now. Nero has taken the throne as the emperor of Rome. Persecution isn't yet a Roman worldwide policy yet. It would be a while yet before the city of Rome would burn and Nero would blame it on the Christians and inflict horrible things on Christians. Um, and, and it wasn't the widespread persecution yet that would later come in the Roman Empire against Christians, but the heat was being turned up. And, and, and Peter knew, he's in Rome at that moment, he, he knew firsthand that that the heat's being turned up. We increasingly, as believers, are going to be exiles in our culture. And, and he knew these churches in Turkey were feeling it. And so he writes them and he says, God, to God's elect, exiles scattered throughout the provinces. And so you go, so where is he going to start? Um, maybe some sympathy here. I know how you feel. You know, in fact, Nero's breathing down my neck. It would be a little later that Nero would have Peter crucified, we think, maybe upside down. Not a pleasant way to die. But he doesn't start, like, with empathy. He, he doesn't start by saying, so let's protest the culture or let's isolate ourselves from the culture. He starts, of all things, with hope. Hope that goes the distance. Even though, increasingly, we're feeling like exiles in the world we live. Hope that goes the distance. So here it is, right out of the gate, verse 3. Praise be to God and the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy, in his great mercy, if you were to look around in this auditorium right now, and I hope none of you are offended by this, but there's not one of us in this room that doesn't need mercy. You didn't come to a house today thinking everybody else is better than you. No. There's not a person in this room that hasn't needed mercy. And, and he said, in his great mercy. And we maybe feel like exiles to the culture, but we're the object of God's mercy. And in his great mercy, he didn't just launch us on a self-improvement project. He brought us to new birth. He let old things die so that new things could live. I mean, something birthed of life inside of us. And that birth was into a living what? Hope. 
into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade. I want to put that verse on the screen one more time with two words underlined. The words hope and resurrection. He is talking about hope that's rooted in resurrection. Now, I probably don't need to point out to you today that we live in a culture, this culture that increasingly is exiling us. We do live in a culture, as much as they don't like us, our culture is experiencing an incredible deficit of hope. I mean, just look at the suicide rates. Look at the massive depression rates in our culture. There are millions of people, even in our country, who got up today and had absolutely no hope. And it's been well said that where there's no hope for the future, there's no power for the present. I mean, how do you keep going if you have no hope? And he said, look, we're, gonna, we're being increasingly exiled ourselves, but one thing we don't have is a hope deficit. I mean, we, we have a whole existence rooted in hope because Jesus rose from the dead. Now, sometimes I want to counterfeit hope, I, you know. I, I, sometimes I tend to reduce hope to just positive thinking. And I do like positive thinking. Positive thinking is biblical. You know, I'm going to think positively about this. Like the little leaguer, you know, he's in the game. They're losing 17 to 0. And another guy says to, the, to, to this little kid, he says, oh, pretty discouraging. Looks like we're going to lose this game, isn't it? And the guy said, no, we're not defeated. We just haven't gotten up to bat yet. You know, I just, it's, there's nothing like optimism, right? There's nothing like positive thinking. I mean, I, I, think, I, I think we ought to think positively. So I tried a little of that over Christmas. I'm there with my daughter and son-in-law and everybody, and we're, we're eating way too many calories. And we're having another piece of dessert. And I said, you know what? Fortunately... All calories get zeroed out on January 1st. <laughs> we start from zero again, right? So I got on the scale two days ago and found out that that positive thought was nothing more than a delusion. <laughs> Apparently that's not, I mean, you can think positively, um, but positive thoughts don't change realities around you or consequences of human decisions, whether they be ours or other people. So it's good to think positively, but hope is not positive thinking because positive thinking has no foundation. Neither is hope as some people kind of talk about as luck. Even some Christians talk about almost like luck. It, it has to do with our circumstances, like everything's going to work out for me. And so you ask, I've even asked Christians, like, what do you hope for? And invariably they will mention something relatively short term. Like, I hope I get that job. Or I hope my kids turn out. Or I hope there's enough in my retirement account when I, when, when, when I get to that age. And I hope. And, you know, it's good to hope. It's good to aspire to things. It's good to have goals. It's good to do what we can. But the fact is that that's not... That, that can sometimes be in the category of luck. I don't use the word luck very much. Our culture says the devil's in the details. I decided years ago Jesus is in the details. So I don't talk about luck a lot. I understand when people say to me, well, good luck, Pastor. You know, but but it's like, it's like my hope is not in some kind of 
misplaced confidence that everything's going to necessarily work out for me the way I think it will, or I'd like it to. That, that's not hope. Paul says, I mean, Peter says here, our hope, our hope is rooted in the resurrection of Jesus Christ. It's rooted in the fact that 2,000 years ago, Jesus defeated death. And in light of that, he's coming back to rule in our world. And we're going to be on his side, not the world's side. <laughs> we are going to have life with him. And really, when a Christian says they have hope, we can cope with this as, even though we're increasingly feeling like we're, we don't belong in this world, we do know that our home is not here. As the old African spiritual put it, we're just a passing through. And that we, our hope is rooted in the triumph of Jesus' resurrection, which is still ultimately ahead of us. It's brought new birth to us right now, but it has brought something eternal to us in the future. So in light of not positive thinking rooted hope and, and not kind of good luck hope, but in light of resurrection hope, he's going to taste, say two things about this hope. First of all, first, first of all it's, it's going to be a hope that will outdistance our vulnerabilities. Hope when we're vulnerable. When you're vulnerable, are those times when you don't feel safe? Where, where, where you feel like a lot of things are out of control around you that you can't stop. And all of us feel vulnerable. I felt this at 9-11, uh, even though I was a pastor in a church in Canada at the time. It still was rocked by 9-11. And, and I remember preaching a sermon. Sometimes I still pull out the sermon notes. It was just on hope. It was just, and my first point was we are all more vulnerable than we ever thought we were. To think that within our borders, uh, two massive skyscrapers could be brought down by foreign entities. I mean, we are more vulnerable than we ever think we are. And, and vulnerability is a part of life. So that's why, that's why he goes on to say there in the middle of verse 4, picking up, this inheritance is kept in heaven for you. It's not stored somewhere on this earth. It's kept in heaven. It's not guarded by a human military or a human bank account. It's, it's in heaven. Who through faith, it, it, and it's, it's for you, he said. And then he describes this. This is, what, this is what godly exiles look like. You through faith are shielded by God's power until the coming of the salvation that's already revealed in the last time. Look, you're shielded by God's power. Because um, your confidence in your ultimate reality is not rooted in what may or may not happen in our world. Things may get tougher for us as exiles, but that doesn't budge our hope one single inch because our hope is rooted in resurrection triumph, that Jesus is coming back to rule our world. And it's not rooted. So, so our vulnerability it isn't out of this sense that, that you know, we cope with it because Sometimes we try to, we, we lie to ourselves and we say, no, I got it. I got it. I mean, I, I, no, I, I can handle this. We kind of sort of say to God, God, I think I can do a better job at being God than you can. Uh, so, so I'm just going to, you know, I know I don't feel safe about some things. I, don't, I know I feel vulnerable sometimes, but, but I think I've got this. Some of you have heard me tell the story of, uh, being in San Antonio where one of our daughters lived, Sandy and I flew into the San Antonio airport 
we're, we're there by the luggage belt waiting to get our suitcase. And there's this little girl. She must have been five years old, cute little girl. And her mom standing right beside me. And uh, their bag comes out. It's, it's more than a suitcase. It's this huge, big thing with a handle on one end and two, two wheels on the other. And the mom reaches down. And it's pretty heavy. And she starts not lifting it. She just has to drag it off. I was almost going to go and help pull it off. And the, but this little girl, she steps right up, and she, oh, she stretched her arms like this right against one side of the bag. She couldn't even reach from one side to the other. She just put her arms up there, and she confidently announced to everybody around, I've got it. <laughs> and I turned to Sandy. I said, did you hear that? Like, that was hilarious. And then I thought of Jesus looking at me, shaking his head, and thinking, you think you got it, huh? You think you got the vulnerabilities managed, huh? You know what? Uh, I mean, that little girl had that big piece of luggage way more than you have the vulnerabilities in your life managed. Because the fact is, I believe in being responsible for the things that are under our own control, but the, the inconvenient truth is there's way more things in our lives that are beyond our control than are under our control. And then we're saying, no, nah, I got it. But what does he say? He said, this inheritance is kept in heaven for you. Through faith, you are shielded by your ability to control everything. No, you're shielded by God's power until the coming of the salvation because your hope is rooted in something that is yet to come when Jesus comes again. And it's the eternal hope that we have. And then the second thing he'll say is this, this hope even outlasts our pain. It's hope when we're hurting. Hope when we're hurting. Because he's trying to be realistic here about the situation. Increasingly, we're being exiled in a hostile culture. There would come the day when Romans would literally throw Christians to lions. Some of that hadn't really come in that degree yet. But the temperature was going up. And he said, he said, even when you're hurting... Even when you're starting to feel the pain, it doesn't threaten your hope. So that's why in the very next verse, verse 6, he says, In all this you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while, while you have had to for a little while, while you may have had to suffer grief in all kinds of trials. I'm still trying to learn how to read, by the way. Um, so let me try that again. In all in all this, you greatly rejoice. Though now, for a little while, you may have to suffer grief. Grief. I mean, even grief doesn't threaten hope. Hope goes the distance past even pain. He said, you're going through all kinds of trials right now. And... I know you're trying to cope best you can, but this hope, this hope will outdistance that. And it's not a contradiction for Peter, saying you got a hope, you're shielded by God's power. It's not a contradiction for him to also say, but I feel your pain. <laughs> you're going through all kinds of griefs right now. Uh, when I was a college student, the Vietnam War was going on, and there was, uh, there was an infamous prisoner of war camp in Hanoi. It was called the Hanoi Hilton. Now, if I was to pull out my phone, I could pull out my Hilton app. I actually 
because of the amount I travel and I use their credit card, I, uh, I, I'm diamond status with Hilton. They give me very nice upgrades some days, and I get free breakfast, and it's wonderful. I like those perks. Uh, but this is not the Hilton. <laughs> this is not the Hilton chain I stay with. The Hanoi Hilton became one of the most infamous prisoner of war camps. It was absolutely brutal, horrendous conditions. Um, a lot of American prisoner of war so soldiers died there. Uh, James Stockdale was one of the prisoners. So was uh, former Senator John McCain. They, they were of a number that actually survived it. Stockdale was there for seven years. Often they keep the prisoners in isolation in horrible conditions and then take them out regularly and torture them, then throw them back in. He, he survived seven years at the Hanoi Hilton. It was unthinkable. Someone asked him, someone asked him one day, um, you know, who are the guys who didn't make it through that? And he surprisingly said it was the optimists, speaking of positive thinking. He said the guys who didn't survive were the guys who said, we'll be out by Christmas. Christmas would come and go. They weren't out. No, okay, then we'll be out by Easter. Easter would come and go. No, they start riding this roller coaster of, of kind of hope and then disappointment, hope and disappointment. And pain's a dangerous time in our lives. It's, it can set us up to be overly disappointed. Well, maybe by Thanksgiving. No. And then you're back to Christmas again. He said, it was those guys who were the optimists. They died of a broken heart in prison. And then he gave what today is known as the Stockdale Paradox. I'll put it on the screen for you. You must never confuse faith that you will prevail in the end. And that's our hope that goes the distance. Because Jesus rose from the dead, we're prevailing in the end. But you can never afford to lose it but you also have to keep the discipline to confront the most brutal facts of your current reality, whatever they may be. And this is exactly what Peter is doing. He said, we're going to prevail in the distance, in the end, because, because hope outdistances uh, out our hurt and outdistances our vulnerability. But the fact is, we do hurt. And it, see, hope doesn't deny reality around you. Hope doesn't deny the reality of what's happening in your life right now. Hope just sees past it and doesn't let you be defined by it and doesn't let you be in a brokenhearted, give up on life, discouraged by it. He said, sure, you're hurting, but, but our hope is not rooted here. It's there. That's why we can handle being exiles in this world. And that's why he goes on to say, the, in fact, the trials you're experiencing right now, they've come so that the proven genuineness of your faith of, of, of worth, greater worth than gold, he says, which perishes even though refined by fire, that that may result in praise, glory, honor when Jesus Christ is revealed. So he picks up a word picture. We all know that gold is purified by heating it up and the impurities go to the top. You, you, you slough it off and you've got pure gold. And gold is one of those incredibly valuable things in our world. He said, your faith is worth way more than gold. And your trials are, are, are some of the purifying fire that's getting the sludge and the impurities out of the way in your life. It could be a time you give up on God. It could be a time 
that disappointment overrides hope if it's not resurrection-centered hope. But because your hope is centered in the resurrection of Jesus Christ, not positive thinking, not maybe I'll be lucky or maybe things will work out or maybe I've got it and, and something will happen and we just sort of live in denial of reality. You face reality, but you have a hope that keeps you going through it all. It was like Corey Tenboom, who survived the Holocaust, of all things. She said, you know, when you get on a train and you go through a tunnel and it starts getting really dark, when it gets really dark, you don't tear up your ticket and jump off the train just because it's dark. No, you sit still and trust the engineer. And our trials purify our faith because they teach us to trust the one who rose from the dead whose unshakable kingdom you are already a part of and who is coming again to rule, he will win and you are in him. Say. So then, then Peter invites us to go the distance with hope. Just, so let's go. If, if hope goes the distance, in spite of our vulnerability, in spite of our hurt, if we're tied to something greater than even people's approval here, then let's go the distance. And if I could summarize what he's going to say in the next couple of verses, it's simply these two words, love Jesus. Just to begin to make Jesus your preoccupation. Just let your affections in 2023 become centered on him in a new way. Deal with some of the idols and distractions in your life, some of the God replacements. Just love him. Spend more time just worshiping him. Spend more time just just being with him and paying attention to him. Because after he said, you know, we've got all these, we've got all these trials right now and we're hurting right now. And praise God, it's refining our faith and making us stronger. Jesus will be glorified for it in the end. But, but he said, though you, in verse eight, though you have not seen him, you love him. Though you're only part way, in other words, you love him. Although all the trials don't make sense to you yet, you love him. Though you don't see him like you will when he comes again and you spend eternity with him. Though you have not seen him, you love him. Even though you do not see him now, you believe in him and you are filled with a lot of anxiety and a lot of depression and a lot of hopelessness. No. And you are filled with inexpressible and glorious joy. For you're receiving the end result of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Phew. He goes on a few verses more to say that even the prophets of the Old Testament saw this day coming that you and I get to participate in because Jesus rose from the dead. And then he puts an exclamation mark just with one. It's like a throwaway line almost at the end of this section. Verse 12 at the end. Even angels long to look into these things. And, and the way the verbs are structured there in the Greek and that word translated English long, it's got kind of this word picture of over the balcony of heaven, they're peering down. And they're God's messengers. They're angels. But what Jesus has accomplished and who we are and the hope we have as a result, I mean, even angels. I mean, we're not just some kind of messengers. You are God's child. Your hope is rooted in the resurrection of Christ. And you can go through anything. So what? They exile you. So what? They kill you. Listen, our hope is in Jesus. And in his resurrection, we have a place 
that even the angels don't have in the purposes of God. We get to have his mercy. We get to be born again. And we get to reign and rule with him forever. And there our hope is.